Hey, I'm Michael and welcome to The Good People Effect. They say to grow, you must first surround yourself with the right people. Well, not everyone has access to the right people right now. So The Good People Effect is a podcast that surrounds you with these awesome humans to help you grow as a person. So ignite your sense of purpose, explore your inner creativity, follow that adventurous spirit and get motivated to start becoming the best version of you through a regular dose of The Good People Effect. Enjoy. Welcome back to The Good People Effect. This is episode nine. Just wanted to throw out an apology, guys, because uh, I, I, there was a bit of a slight delay on this episode because I've been focusing my energy and time on some new hobbies that I found and I'm really passionate about. So uh, that's kind of drawn me away for the podcast for the last couple of weeks, but I'm back we're back and we're back into it. So this episode's a very, very sweet one. We're going to get into some intricate, detailed, interesting conversations with Michael Delacovo. Michael Delacovo is a former CEO of Effective Altruism Australia. And for those of you who don't know what Effective Altruism is, I didn't know what it was until probably about a couple of weeks ago. I found out it's this awesome movement and I really wanted to fill you guys in on this. It's all about making this world a better place. So if you're interested in making this world a better place in the most effective and efficient way possible, then this episode is definitely for you. Michael's also a PhD candidate in space science and specializes in asteroids. So that's kind of crazy. So I thought this guy's going to be perfect for the show. He's perfect for the good people effect. We're going to be getting into some interesting space conversations. And he's also he also has his own podcast and that, that talk, kind of talks about morality and ethics and, and answers some some questions around that. So we're going to be getting into some some deep convos in this episode. So just pre- just prepare yourself for this because it's it's a really good one and I hope hope you like it. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Another episode of The Good People Effect. Cheers. Uh, so, so, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about what effective altruism is and how you got involved with it? Yeah, my pleasure. First of all, just uh, want to say thank you for having me on the podcast, Michael. It's a pleasure. Um, really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I, so I appreciate you coming I, on to the show. Really do. Great. So, um, I, I first started getting involved in effective altruism, uh, I want to say... Two and a half years ago, yeah, uh, I had sort of um, been interested in charity for a while, mostly through poverty and climate change work, um, and I was I was sort of sort of starting to think, um, you know, I want to I want to make as I want to make not just a difference in my life, I want to make as much of a difference as I can, but how can I do that? It's so hard. There's so many different things I could be doing, different charities I could be supporting. Uh, and I sort of um, had mentioned that kind of train of thought to a few people and no one really um, was that interested. But then I found this TED Talk video uh, about effective altruism by a philosopher named Peter Singer, who's an Australian moral philosopher. He was one of the co-founders of this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talking about there's this whole community worldwide of people who are actively thinking about the question of how can I do the most good with my limited time and resources? And that really resonated with me. So... Uh, I actually emailed Peter Singer um, asking how I can get involved. And I was living in Adelaide, South Australia at the time. And he suggested that I start a chapter up because there was uh, there was no chapter in Adelaide at the time. So uh, along with a friend of mine, we started the Adelaide chapter. Uh, and yeah, I guess that's that's how I got involved and never looked back. Yeah. And what was... So you did you do a little bit more research and, and kind of look into the ins and outs of, of how the chapters worked before you started that and, and what other people were doing around the world? 
Yeah, definitely. So I, I, um, I actually started off by first, so Peter Singer first introduced me by email to another individual who was running the Melbourne chapter yeah. uh, by the name of Chris Quinn. So I um, spoke with Chris and he introduced me. It was sort of a chain that people introduced me to someone else that everyone was super friendly and willing to help. Uh, and just by meeting a bunch of people from around the world, kind of via Skype, um, yeah, really learned a lot about the movement and what the chap- what chapters tend to do and uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, really friendly movement. Everyone's super happy to help out. So it's a movement where you guys look into the ways that you can posit- positively affect the world um, and, and try to do as much good as you can and, and put your time and resources into... Um, making the world a better place. Um, correct if, if I'm wrong. Um, and but how do you how do you actually do that? Like what what kind of things do you guys do within this chapter? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, so the, the the very central question of effective altruism is just you know what how how can I make the most difference? Yeah. Um, but there's there's so many ways to look at that. So many things you can do. So I guess chapters and there's also a number of organisations that kind of uh, subscribe to the effective altruism movement. A uh, lot of lot of different ways to do that. So, for example, there's one organization called GiveWell, mm-hmm. uh, and what they do is they look at uh, data from a number of charities, and they try and they try and work out which charities are most effective, which charities give you the most bang for your buck when you donate to them. So they they look at a charity and they will you know they look at their data and try and make uh, assessments um, based on based on their impact. Uh, so, for example, one of the most effective charities in the world at the moment uh, that has been looked at by GiveWell is the Against Malaria Foundation. So they provide anti-malarial bed nets. And basically what uh, GiveWell do is they try and work out um, for, every, for every bed net distributed, uh, how many cases of malaria is that preventing? Uh, how many, uh, I guess, how, how much is that improving people's lives? Uh, and so that allows donors to then make really, uh, really well-informed decisions on on how much impact their donation is really having to these to different charities. Yeah. Do you feel like um, a lot of donations don't don't have that much impact because people aren't informed or, or don't look into the charity a bit further? Um, going going off uh, one statistic that came out a number of years ago, I don't know if this is still accurate, but yeah. for the for the social intervention space specifically on like. Um, uh, social interventions. They the statistic given was seventy five percent of social intervention programs have little to no effect. Yeah. Um. Seventy five percent. That's massive. It's yeah. yeah I, I don't know if that's that's still the number, but um, it's it seems to be the case that um, there's such a range of effectiveness in different interventions. Um, and it's really hard to know. It's really hard to do that for a number of reasons, um, which I could go into if you like. One, one is, um, yeah. it's for, if you're if you're a charity and you're you've got some program for you to do a concerted effort to measure the impact of that, that costs a lot of money. Uh, and as a as a small charity, you often don't have really have that. And wouldn't you rather that spend that spend thing. that money on on doing good, right? Instead of yeah. Yeah, it's a hard. It's also a hard sell. People who support the charity don't want to see that money's going to impact measurement as opposed to, I guess, direct work. Yeah. But I think it's still really important because, um, for two reasons. One is because your intervention might not be having as much effect as you think it could be, and you could be doing something else. Or if you really understand 
the ins and outs of your um, your program, then you can you can actually improve the effectiveness of your program. You can do better. You can do better the next time around. Uh, so it is a hard sell sometimes, but I think it's it's really really crucial um, for a charity to do that. Yep, it's important to look at kind of where where the money's going so that you can like so in the long term, I guess you can do the most good. That that does make a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what? So a lot of charities are what spending a lot more money on what advertising or where does it, where does the money go if it's not going to what people are donating it for? Yeah, that's that's part of it. Um, so some, I guess some charities have more overhead overhead costs than others, but yeah. that that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I know that that's one thing that comes up a lot when people talk about the effectiveness of charities. Sure. But if a charity is uh, just as hypothetical, they they spend some amount of money on advertising or fundraising, and that brings in a lot of new money to to spend on their program next year. That's that's a good thing in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing if they have a lot of a high overhead. I think the the more important figure to look at is just for every dollar donated, how much good is getting done. Just and you can, ratio, I guess you yeah. can, yeah, you can define that a lot of different ways. But you know how how much how much is getting done on the ground in terms of effectiveness, not just how much money is being directed towards the programs themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's definitely part of it. But uh, there's a there's a there's really a lot to it to um to really drill down on how much effectiveness a charity is having. Sure, sure. But it is interesting to look at and it, I guess it is pretty important if you're going to donate that, um, I, well, I feel if I was going to donate, I would want my, my money to go as far as it could and do as much mm-hmm. good as it could because um, that's the reason I'm giving it in the first place. So that, that makes a yeah, lot of sense. Uh, so a lot of us, I guess, have a, a lot of, um, a heap of opportunity to do a lot of good and, um, you know, for for some reasons or or others, um, people kind of get held back in a way and, and might not do as much as they as they probably could. What do you think the reason for that is? That sounds like a bit of a big question, I know, but yeah, big question. Um, who, who better to ask? So, yeah. <laughs> so part of it, I think, definitely is uh, there's just a general lack of knowledge or information out there about the effectiveness of not just different charities, but different careers and different things you can work on. Um, it's yeah, it's, there's, there's not many, there aren't many organizations out there dedicated to what is the most, to finding out what the most effective thing that you personally can do as an individual. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's slowly changing partly through the influence of effective altruism, but definitely a lack of information. Um, also I think people tend to have, tend to be in the mindset, I guess, of not planning ahead for certain things. So if you if you think to yourself you want to have as much of an impact as possible over the course of your life, mm-hmm. um, I don't think many people really plan what plan out what that looks like yeah. over over the really long term. So you they might think in sh- kind of short terms things, but for example, you might think, um, well uh, I'm in this career right now, but if I'm thinking over the next 50 years and I want to have as much of an impact as possible, maybe it makes sense for me to change careers, uh, or maybe it makes sense for me to do to get some new training and to do something else or to work on something else. Yeah. Um, so I think just getting into the habit of really trying to think long term, and there are some um, some organisations that help people do that. There's a one that I would recommend is um, 80,000 Hours. The, their website is 80,000hours.org. They are specifically focused on helping people find high impact careers, uh, or to to um, you know to do better through their career. That's really interesting. And they, yeah, yeah and they offer a coaching service uh, where they 
um, will talk us talk through some uh, a career plan with someone uh, and help them work out you know what what do they want to do what are their interests what's their personal fit which is really important for having an impactful career yeah um, you can't you can't have a high impact career if you're just not enjoying the work uh, but also what what kind of careers are really good for having an impact um, yeah and to to help people kind of plan out the long term yeah for that so and- yeah. So besides, I guess, um, that, that, that sounds really interesting. So you're, you're pretty much, um, well, you've got the opportunity to, I guess, shift your career in a way that, you know, um, might, you can still follow something you're passionate about, but you could be doing a lot more good than you currently are. And I guess mm-hmm. when, you, when, you move away, um, when you move away from things that, I guess, negatively impacting um, the world or, or others' well-being, um, that's, that's also a step in the right direction as well, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, what other things could people do? So besides donating and um, this 80,000 hours, do you have any other kind of ideas off the top of your head um, that you might be able to suggest that people could probably, you know, um, do that might be a smaller step in the right direction? Yeah. Um, if uh, I guess looking to find a group of people around you who are also interested in doing that because I think um, uh your your values and your actions really reflect the type the people those of the people that you hang out with yeah. so if you um you know if you if you're if you want to have a have a positive impact one of the one of the best ways to to start doing that is to find other people who feel the same way uh, and to spend time with them and i think uh, you can learn a lot of ideas but also it's really it's motivating to help you do that um perhaps setting up kind of a long-term pledge or maybe a plan for yourself. Uh, so you might think, um, well, maybe I'm not a pos- in a position to do as much good as I'd like to at the moment, but, um, you know, if I have this five-year goal of uh, five years out from now, I want to have done this, or I want to be doing this, uh, whatever that is, whatever you think you can do, um, because that helps you, uh, that, that makes you more likely to do it in the future than if you had not made a promise and if you just thought, well, I'll think about it later on down the track. Yeah, kind of plan ahead a little bit and think about um, maybe even put some pen to paper and, and put a couple of goals down and, and at least mm. move forward in, in, a, in a positive direction with that intent. That definitely seems yeah. like a, a good little first step forward and, and like you said, surrounding yourself with the right people, which is what this show is all about. So I, I definitely agree with both those things, Michael. Uh, cheers, awesome. for the, cheers, cheers for the insight. Um, I've, got this, I've got this question in now because I really wanted to ask you it and I didn't want to forget. Um, I'm really curious about your perspective on something. So um, it's quite a big question again, but um, I might throw a few of them at you today um, if you don't yeah, mind. because. Because Put me on the spot. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like you're, you're the perfect person to ask for all these things and I really want to hear your opinion. So um, at the moment in the world, um, collectively as humans, uh, we can make a huge positive impact. But uh, what are the? where should we be focusing our kind of energy in your opinion? What are, say, the five worst things that are kind of going on that we've got the power to um, do something about? Yeah, um, that is a huge question. And uh, I don't know if I'm fully qualified to answer that, but I'll yeah. definitely have a go Just as, want your as opinion. far as my own opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So, uh, I think, uh, I, I can think of, I can think of a few things that are kind of, in my opinion, some of the most pressing problems. Yeah. Um, so I, the, which, which one is most important for you to work on is going to depend on a lot of things, but I think just in general, uh, so in no particular order, I think, 
the suffering due to poverty and poverty related uh, issues is really, really one of the biggest global issues right now. Yeah. Um, climate change, I think, uh, has the potential to really do a lot of harm in the future. I think it's already having an effect, but I think that's just going only going to increase. Uh, I, I think the suffering experienced by animals, um, particularly in, the, in our food system, is something that people tend to underestimate, but there's definitely a lot of that happening in, in our food system, in farming. Uh, and I think if we, if we value animals, uh, at least somewhat, then that's that's really um, quite a quite a pressing issue. Yeah, with that one in particular, I was quite I was quite shocked when I when I found out some of the things that were going on, and I probably don't know mm-hmm. you know the half of it, but um, it's quite shocking how much I guess um, we don't see unless you choose to look into it, and unless you choose to be open to what's actually happening in this world in regards to. In regards to all the things you've mentioned so far, but in regards to animals, it really kind of hit me uh, pretty hard because I was shocked. I was like, I didn't even know any of this was happening and I didn't know any of this had such a big impact on, on the world we live in. So it kind yeah. of, yeah, it, it's, it kind of uh, extends a lot further and it kind of connects back to the environment as well. Yeah, that was, that was really interesting. I, I also kind of felt the same where I didn't really, didn't really think about it for the most part. And then I just had this one friend a few years back who kind of told me or gave me a lot of information and, you know, uh, really kind of opened my eyes to, to that. I think that's, I think that's a unique, especially unique problem where, uh, for whatever reason, people just don't tend to think about it very much. Yeah. And there's a bit of a, I guess, a stigma associated with becoming, I guess, like a vegetarian or, or a vegan or something like that, mm-hmm. because, um, then you, there's certain, certain vegans, or vegetarians that are really, I guess, kind of preachy. And that kind of turns people off the idea and, and then it kind of, I guess, closes other people's minds to um, not so much the cho- the way they choose to eat, but what's actually happening in the world and, and the bigger picture, mm. which I think is um, kind of sad as well um, because it, yeah. it, it closes a lot of people off to the idea of, um, you know, or in, of, the, of looking into what's going on, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think uh, that that whole phenomenon and is just a psychologist's uh, dream. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's so much going on there with uh, interactions about around kind of animal farming and veganism and interactions yeah, with veganism. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we've so got back, we've, yeah back to what we were saying. We've got um, so we've got we spoke about poverty. Um, you mentioned climate change, and we talked about um, animals and the injustices that are happening around that area. Mm-hmm. What else have yeah, we got, Michael? So I, think, I think the other two might be maybe a little surprising to some people. Yeah. They, they were at least to me a couple of years ago. But yeah. uh, I think probably, probably quite up there as one of the most pressing problems is uh, potential catastrophic threats. So any, any event that might either cause catastrophic damage to life on Earth or even have the chance of uh, causing an extinction event of, of humans or yeah. uh, of, of much of life. And there's, yeah. a, there's a, a bunch of those. There's some, there's some ones that people are probably very familiar with, uh, such as nuclear warfare has been uh, a concern for the last number of decades. Um, but also there's some, there's some natural ones like asteroid impacts, has the whilst being relatively unlikely, still has the potential to cause a lot of damage. Yeah, so you, you would know a lot more about this than anyone i would say that i know or anyone that i know knows 
because <laughs> tell me about uh, just quickly um, what's your background with with asteroids and, and studying them um, just so just so everyone else knows. Yeah, sure. So I, I'm doing a PhD uh, on asteroid geoscience. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at um, mostly I'm looking at kind of ways to map asteroids and to understand them. Uh, but my my um, particular interest is how that relates to asteroid impacts uh, and to deflecting potential asteroids, uh, potentially dangerous asteroids from hitting Earth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that that. Um, that this is one of the reasons that I actually got into this PhD was because I, I think this is one of the one of the biggest problems and I wanted to be as close as I can to the field. How'd you how'd you find out that it was a problem? Because like you said, it was a shock to you in the beginning mm -hmm. and I it's a kind of a shock to me right now. Like I didn't know that was even yeah. um wouldn't say an issue but a threat. Yeah, it's uh I I mean I, I've been a I've been a sort of interested in space since I was a child. So I always knew what asteroids were and what they could do and you always know that you know, a commenter at Asteroid killed the dinosaurs. It was a, a big contributing factor to that 65 million years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was it was really only after I just saw someone break down the numbers that kind of kind of shook me a little bit. So just one example of that is uh, <clears throat> statistically speaking, you are individually more likely to be killed by an asteroid than by a shark attack. Um, the reason for that is it's just uh, even though no one has no one in recorded history has been killed by an asteroid, but the the uh, low probability of very high impact events uh, makes the um, I guess when you when you put that into a risk assessment, it makes uh, asteroids more dangerous than a lot of uh, more typical everyday kind of events. So sorry, yeah, so, I'm not I'm not following. How does that work? Like, how can an asteroid that's never killed anyone? Mm -hmm. um, be more dangerous in an everyday event that has killed people. Yeah, so asteroid impacts are much less likely to occur. But mm. if one did occur, then it would uh, it would do so much more damage than many other events. So, yeah. and it's not totally impossible. Yeah. Like it's in the realm of possibilities. Mm -hmm. So we're 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 pretty sure that we found all the astro all the reasonably big asteroids that are near Earth. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're I mean we're the Organizations like NASA are doing a good job of um, looking after us there, but there's still the chance that we've missed one. There's the chance that a big one will come that we just can't stop. Uh, so wasn't there yeah, one that the... came pretty close recently? I saw a video of you online having a chat with someone. This was, I think, it was like 2012, if I memory, but I'm not 100%. And you were saying at the time that one came pretty close, and I think you even said that you weren't able to tell until like seven days beforehand or something like that. Could you? Yeah, so this was actually September last year. Uh, September, that was last, last year. year. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So this was this was asteroid QA2, uh, and it came. So the the moon is four hundred about four hundred thousand kilometers away, a little bit under from us. Yeah. Uh, and this asteroid actually came forty thousand kilometers. Um, I'm sorry, eighty eighty thousand about eighty thousand kilometers. From Earth. Which, in the, so, in the scheme of things, isn't that far? That's actually pretty close. Isn't not it? that far. That's it's you know it's one fifth the distance from here to the moon. So yeah, came reasonably close. And this yeah. asteroid was about fifteen to fifty meters big. Um, and to just to put that in context, there was an asteroid impact in the early twentieth century which yeah. hit, uh, I think, around Siberia. And so this. Luckily, no one, no one was in the area. It was very uninhabited. Yeah. But this, this asteroid, it was only 15 meters big across, 
and it uh, sorry it uh, it flattened about several thousand square kilometers of forest. The trees were just completely flattened, um, and so you can imagine several thousand square kilometers. That's probably I, I don't know maybe the size of Melbourne, give or take. So you could, if if that have happened to hit Melbourne, then there wouldn't be much left of it. And so that's why I say these you know those sort those size impacts only happen once every couple hundred years or so. Yeah. Well, but they when they do, yeah. But they happen, and if they do, uh, and they just happen to hit the wrong place, it could be quite devastating. And QA two, we only discovered it a few hours before it actually flew past. Uh, if I have my if I have my memory right, it was very close, and it was discovered certainly so soon that we wouldn't have been able to do anything about it if it was going to hit Earth, except to say try and get out of this area. Yeah, this is what I don't understand. I mean, with with all the technology, I guess we have today, which. I've got no 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 idea how like extensive that is, but I would assume that it's it's quite. Uh, we've moved quite a long way from where we were, you know, even ten years ago. Um, how could we mm. only predict it like last minute in the on the eleventh hour? Like, why can't we tell, you know, a couple of months out or a year out, judging by orbits and however, you know, all those things that you guys look at? Um, why can't yeah. we tell earlier? Yeah. So, like I said before, we found most of the asteroids that. Um, what we call have an inter Earth intersecting orbit, which means their orbit will at some points pass the orbit of Earth's, yep. which means they could potentially be a threat. So we found we found most of them, or at least the ones over a certain size. Um, but we're limited by uh, we're limited by a few things. One is just the the power of our telescopes and how small an object they can see, um, which which depends large it depends largely on how how big the object is, how far away it is, how reflective it is. Uh, so the technology is always improving, and we're slowly finding smaller and smaller asteroids, but we're still lim just limited by technology, and also yeah. just limited by funding. I mean, we haven't, we just haven't been able to spot them all yet. And if we had more telescopes and more people working on it, then we may have discovered that one much earlier. Yeah. Um, but that's just one that happened to slip through the gap. So uh, that could, you know, that could happen. That could happen at any time. We could. That just could be an announcement right now. I don't want to <laughs> scare anyone because it is pretty unlikely. But yeah, you know, yeah. someone could. It's just totally possible someone could say right now that, hey, there's an asteroid heading to Earth. It, we only just discovered it. It's a day out. Yeah. Uh, too late to do anything about it. Yeah. What would and, you do? Yeah, what would you do if that was happening, Michael? How would you spend <laughs> your last day on Earth? Oh, if there was no chance of me. Oh, how would I spend my last day? This got a. This got a little dark. <laughs> I. If there was. No Doesn't chance, need to be dark. Yeah, it's would... a matter of perspective. <laughs> sure. Um, I. I'd hope that I could uh, spend it. Doing something I love with my with the people that I the people that I love um, friends and family. Yeah. Unfortunately, I live here in the states at the moment, and most of my family's back in Australia. But I'd want to you know I'd want to speak to my family and uh, spend time doing things I love. I guess. I feel like that's a good answer, Michael. Yeah. I like it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> we're definitely going to come back to the the final uh, the final piece of the puzzle that we're discussing before about you know everything that's going on at the moment. Um, sure. in your opinion, you know the worst things. But I, I, mm -hmm. I, this is really intriguing me right now. I want to know what what these things are made out of. What is an asteroid? Like, what is it? Yeah, uh, could be made of a lot of things. It's it's uh, could be um, made of, I guess, just uh, rock, carbonaceous rock. Um, could be more metallic. Yeah. So metallic asteroids are often made of nickel and iron. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you hear people say things like an asteroid just flew past that's worth a trillion dollars. Uh, I, th I think that was a news headline last year, something like that. And some asteroids have um, 
a, a large amount of platinum group medals mm-hmm. in them, which is quite a valuable medal, quite a quite a valuable series of medals here on Earth. Uh, and <clears throat> um, in some of these asteroids, these metals are just really concentrated. So that if we could if we could tap into that, then the, you know someone might be up to make a lot of money. Uh, so yeah, they, these asteroids they, asteroids are basically just leftover bits of either maybe planets or uh, planets that didn't quite bodies that didn't quite turn into a planet at the start of the solar system for four and a half or so billion years ago. Uh, it could be a larger body that was later broken up um the for example some some smaller meteorites that hit earth we think are bits of uh asteroids that hit each other or larger bodies that hit each other yeah and have just been drifting through space um so yeah it's a the just a I, I guess um they some of them contain ice water ice yeah uh, in in various quantities and comets tend to have a lot of ice which is why they leave out those those trails of ice and dust water and dust um and we can we can see these things um from earth can't we like we don't need a telescope to see these is that correct yeah yeah so comets when they come close enough you can see with the naked eye even during the daylight um and there i think the, the most recent one in my memory was about i want to say about eight years ago um okay so there was a comet rare. That, yeah Comet, yeah, com- well, for a comet to be visible, the naked eye is relatively rare. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they do, they do come, come by fairly often. Uh, then, for most, for most asteroids, you would, you'd need a, a telescope to see it. They're not really visible with the naked eye, except when they enter the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, and when that happens, you can sometimes you see a, like a, uh, a meteor shower. It's just they're typically much smaller um, specks of dust or rock that's uh, burning up in the atmosphere. Um, yeah. As it streaks through, is there one? Sometimes of, you get. Is there one? Of, sorry, to interrupt. Is there one of those coming up by yeah. any chance? Like, can you give us a, the lowdown on on a meteor shower that's that's about to come past, or is there anything happening that's spectacular that we should look out for? Yeah, I, I actually don't know when the next meteorite meteor shower is, but uh, there there are a few that happen at kind of regular times throughout the year. So, um, and there there's. Um, yeah, when when the it's when the Earth goes past a certain point that has um, like a trail of, uh, I guess a trail of uh, leftover material, mm-hmm. um, then you you have a, a nice meteor shower for a couple of days or a week or so. Uh, so that's that's pretty. If, if you look up uh, meteor meteor showers, um, yeah, there's a couple of times a year when there's a, a week or so where there's a high high concentration of meteor showers, and so. If you go somewhere away from any bright lights out of a city, then you could uh, see some pretty pretty spectacular stuff. Especially uh, the centre centre of Australia is where I saw a meteor shower. It is pretty pretty spectacular. Um, so yeah, where I, you're I, from often, around Adelaide, or yeah. do you mean actually in the centre? Well, I, I so I saw one from the Flinders Ranges, which is just north of Adelaide, but also uh, I spent a bit of time around Alice Springs and uh, kind of that area. So yeah, it's. Uh, when you're when you're at when you're away from the ocean, uh, kind of that that water vapor, and you, when you're away from any bright city lights, you can see some pretty amazing things. Cool. I'll definitely definitely keep that in mind, and I'm definitely going to be googling meteorite showers after after we get off the yeah yeah call here. Uh, yeah. So I've got this. I don't know if you're the pe- best person to ask for this, but I thought you know a hell of a lot about space and asteroids and and all, all that kind of thing, and that sounds really. Um, stupid of me, but that's, I don't know much about it myself. Um, 
I want to know if you have any idea how, um, just out of curiosity, completely random, do you know how the Northern Lights work or the Southern Lights? Do you know how that phenomenon takes place? Yeah, uh, I, I have to admit I did know at one point and I've not, my, uh, I, I can't fully remember exactly. It's related to the way the sun interacts with the Earth's magnetic field. Okay. Uh, and it's just when you're at a certain point, either near the North Pole or the South Pole, it's where the, the 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 sun interacts with the magnetic field in such a way that it just creates these these lights, the uh, aurora australis and aurora borealis. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid I, I can't, can't give you too much more detailed insight than that. Just a random question. Yeah. I thought you might know. But yeah, no, that, that's cool. Um, have you ever seen them yourselves? No, I haven't. You've got to get pretty far north or south, and I've uh, never been that far north or south, unfortunately. Um, a trip to Tassie soon yeah. might be a good plan. Just a can you see trip. them from Tassie? You can see them from Tassie, yeah. So I'm oh, thinking, wow. okay. yeah, before it gets, I think the colder, the better. Um, so yeah, I really want to try to catch a glimpse, I think. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. I've never been to Tassie actually. So that's uh, going be an excuse to get down there. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, um, back to what we were saying, let's go back there. So we were talking, um, you know, terrible things. What's, what's the, what's the next, um, thing other than, um, a major catastrophe, like, um, a nuclear, like nuclear warfare or an asteroid hitting the earth? Um, what was the last thing that you had in mind? So this this is a a little bit a little bit on a, a different beat, I guess. But uh, I think, in terms of pressing problems, I actually think not knowing what the most pressing problem is is a pre- in its is in itself a pressing problem because if we if we knew the most pressing problem and we understood it, then not only could we you know tackle the problem better, but we could prioritize our resource allocation, uh, not just you know maybe our, our own personal resource and time allocation, but also institutes and governments that are working on these problems. You know how do they decide how much to allocate to fighting climate change versus poverty versus trying to prevent nuclear warfare? Um, how do we how do we know which problem is actually most important? And I think yeah, I think that kind of meta or cause prioritization in itself is actually. Um, itself quite a quite a uh, important problem something that could definitely receive more work yeah so you're kind of applying the mindset of effective altruism to this question i guess yeah you know in a way like if we if we better understand something we can figure out um how to allocate our resources to do the best to make it better really Mm, yeah yeah that's interesting yeah cool 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 um so um i guess i kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into um, maybe some some other, like we've discussed some ways that people can, you know, give back and, and do more um, and even some smaller ways. But do you know any specific charities that, in your opinion, are doing really well? Um, yeah, I mentioned before the Against Malaria Foundation. Uh, yeah, I've give been well. a big supporter of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think they're doing some great work, uh, particularly in Africa uh, at reducing... Uh, incidents of malaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you're if you're interested in uh, helping animals, the um, the good in, the Good Food Institute is one of my favorite charities in that space. So they um, they're working to help facilitate, promote, um, I guess the the uh, the production of meat alternatives or animal product alternatives. So they're making more realistic uh, like cheeses and uh, meats, either through lab techniques or 
um, like cell cellular, you know, on a, on a cellular level, or whether they're just taking different plants and working to make them more realistic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, so they're supporting a number of companies. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it's kind of a unique take on on helping animals. Where they're trying to directly work by changing the food system and kind of, uh, you know, making these alternatives more more um, more popular in a, in a way. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. it's 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 a little bit tricky. I guess changing your diet and moving away from meats, which are fairly easy to consume because they're everywhere. Like everywhere you look, you mm -hmm. can definitely get a burger or whatever. Um, to to kind of you know going outside of your comfort zone and 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 kind of pushing your own internal boundaries and and forcing yourself to find new ways of eating. And I guess anything that makes that a little bit easier must be doing some good. So what's this called? The Good mm -hmm. Food Institute. The Good Food Institute, yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. Um, access to, uh, I guess, like veggie sausages and like vegan cheeses at the supermarket yeah. um, really, really helped me in my transition. It made it so much easier. Um, and yeah, we're, we're pretty lucky, at least in Australia uh, and the US, there's so much. There's, every year, there's just more products on the shelves that, uh, you know, uh, vegan cheeses that just are getting better and better in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess yeah, the I only thing I'm worried about with that kind of thing is the health, the health side of things. So, mm -hmm. um, from my perspective, I'd want it to still be healthy as well. And I feel like some of those yeah. foods um, aren't, aren't very healthy. Um, some of those processed um, alternatives, um, some are, but I guess that's one thing to look out for. Yeah, you've definitely. Yeah, I think you've hit the hit the nail on the head um on that one there there's that's something that people talk about a lot kind of uh i guess in in animal advocacy circles um yeah so you're right these these kind of alternatives are not necessarily the healthiest they they serve a role in helping people to make a change but you don't want that to be the only thing people eat that's exactly. um yeah it could be good yeah. for the transition but you don't want to make uh -huh. it a habit yeah definitely definitely yeah 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 uh, awesome. So, um, so that's that's one for food. Do you have any others you could throw at me that I might be able to throw up on the show notes a bit later for people to look into, just off the top of your head? Yeah, I think I've, I think I've already mentioned a few other, few other ones. So the uh, eighty thousand hours I mentioned. Yep. Um, yep. The 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 Open Philanthropies Project. Uh, they're I think they're related to GiveWell, um, but they they look at kind of more kind of grand pictures of, uh, I guess like looking at comparing climate change and other cause areas and then they they um make recommendations uh they they give out grants to organizations that are doing well in uh those kind of spaces yeah um other other charities um yeah let's see uh what about so effective the, effective altruism um how do people i guess get involved with with that sorry i think i just cut you off while you're about to say another one but um no that's right I'll, I'll give you one more and then i'll give then me I'll one more first yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so give directly is another really good one they directly, um yeah. they're doing two things one is they're giving um they're giving uh direct uh interest-free kind of cash grants to people it's it's not even it's not even a loan i've used the wrong term there but they're giving um cash grants to individuals who need them the most in developing nations, um, and what they what they've uh, what they've seen so far is it actually has a really big impact. Just giving people money to buy to spend on things that they need actually has a really big impact on on their lives and their families' lives. So they're another so company the other, that look at 
like the good that's being done within a company and they decide okay well these guys could need a little, these guys could use a little bit more help we're going to give them a bunch of like just a just a grant and give them a, a push it, push in the in the positive direction is that what you're saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and the other, the other thing they're doing is um there there's this concept of a basic income which has been floated around by economists for a while yeah. uh, never really been put in practice but it's basically um the idea that you give everyone in a society uh, a small a small amount of money per week it's yeah. not it's it's um it should be just enough for everyone to meet their basic needs and you give it to everyone just everyone in the society and in theory what this should do is allow people to work more on things that they want to work on uh it really builds helps build like a sense of uh community um yeah i've heard about and, this yeah 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 so it's been there's been a few very local trials but never really been done on a large scale and so what give directly are doing is they're actually trialing that in africa on a large scale they're collecting a lot of data and they're trying to be really transparent about measuring the impact of that uh and what they're hoping to do is to kind of say um you know at the end of that after it's going to be going to be a multi-year trial and they want to then say this is the impact of a basic income program we've we've done the research and you know we think we and then recommend either maybe people do it or if they don't do it but i think so far they're seeing that it's really having a quite a positive impact what so, um, i, I didn't even know yeah. this was going on this is awesome oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so check out give directly if you want to oh, i'm definitely that. checking that out yeah mm -hmm. that that sounds because yeah. i've heard about that that theory before uh, mm. but i didn't know anyone was i guess doing like a trial run that's awesome I think there was a there was a small trial in Canada in one town in Canada a little while ago, um, yeah. but it was very small and kind of discontinued after that. But this is the first, as far as I'm aware, the first major large scale test or trial of this of a basic income. So are they pretty much uh, just providing. This is what I understand of the theory is pretty much you provide mm -hmm. a, um, everyone with, like you said, just enough they need to live on, and then they go do what they're passionate about. And, yeah. and and their their finances are covered, but they're living kind of through their passions and living that kind of a life um, where they're not kind of, you know, um, obviously they're not um, being as materialistic because they haven't got enough money to go out and buy, you know, all these all these shiny new things, but they're, they're doing mm. what they love and they're being supported for it. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and then you could, wow. you could also continue to work your regular job if you want. Uh, or you know, you, or it just frees you up to do to, to do other stuff that you might not otherwise be able to do if you're um, constrained by money. Yeah. See, I mean, we spoke about those those five major, I guess, um, things that were going on in the world that aren't so good, but there's so much good happening at the same time. There's so yeah. many things like this that, that's going on. Like that just blew my mind. Like I can't believe this is even happening. Like this is making me really happy. Um, I'm, that's really good to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's really nice feeling to kind of hear about the good work people are doing. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, back to what I was saying before. So how can people get involved in effective altruism if they're like, this sounds pretty cool. You know, I, I, I give to charity, but you know, I want to be doing a little bit more. I want my, my money to go a bit further or, you know, this sounds like a cool initiative. I want to, I want to help out. I want to be involved. Um, where should we, where should we point them? Yeah, if you're if you're in Australia, you could uh, you could have a look at um, so Effective Altruism Australia is an organisation in Australia that uh, seeks to help Australians to you know increase their impact. So their website is effectivealtruism.org.au. Mm -hmm. uh, most most um, 
I think most major cities in Australia have a chapter now, a local chapter, which organise local meetups and events, um, sometimes guest speakers. Mm -hmm. So you could uh, you could look for your local chapter if you just search something like Effective Altruism Sydney on Facebook. You'll find or, or meetups that generally have they're on there as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, then you can get involved and you can just reach out to the organiser and usually they uh, you know they'll they'll um, you can just go along to, to any of the meetups mm -hmm. and get involved. Mm -hmm. Um, 80,000 hours, I think, if you're, if you're interested, they have a really extensive guide on their website. If you, you know, especially if you're at the point where you're thinking about career, maybe if you're at university or just about to, or just finished a degree, um, or you just, you know, you finish school, you're thinking about the next step in your life. That's a really good resource to have. Um, uh, there's, uh, if you, I think the best kind of just introduction to effective altruism is probably Peter Singer's TED talk. So the, um, if you're, a, if you're a big fan of TED Talks, which I am, then I think this one's pro probably one of my favorites. So if you just uh, look up Peter Singer, TED Talk, or Effective Altruism, TED Talk, uh, it's a short video which gives a kind of an overview of some of the stuff that I've said. But, um, yeah, he just talks about kind of the impact that we can have, uh, which is just really surprising in some ways. Awesome. Great, 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 great. All that information is going to be in the show notes. It's going to be a juicy show notes this, uh, this episode, I think. Uh, so definitely check it out if um, if you're interested. Uh, definitely urge you to have a look and and dig a little bit deeper in, into the goodness you can do. So I just want to say thank you for coming on to the show, Michael. This has been this has been really good, and I'm really really happy to have you here. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. It's been a great chat. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. We'll uh, definitely have to have another one sometime down track. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll have you on my podcast uh, next time. <laughs> yeah, so tell us a little bit about your podcast before we say goodbye. So um, what's it all about and, and what's it called? Yeah, it's called Morality is Hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can find it on iTunes or you can find our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. um, the, the kind of theme that I'm going for is I'm really interested in ethical questions, uh, as, as you can probably tell from the last, last 40 minutes. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, my kind of uh, shtick, I guess, is I think ethical questions are more complicated than people tend to make them out to be. So often people think there's a very clear-cut answer given some ethical question. You know, what what should we do? What ought we do in this situation? What's the what's the best, the most right action? Hmm. And yeah, I think that's I think it's much more complicated than what people think. So what I try and do in my podcast is um, some of them are interviews, some of them are just discussions where. Um, we try. We often pick uh, a specific question or a specific event that's happened, and really try and drill down and look at the kind of nuances of that and see why maybe it's a little bit more complicated than people are making it out to be. Uh, and what you know, how how do we really work out kind of the most the most um, the most the most good action, I guess, uh, in any given case. Yeah. So it's it's definitely dependent on the case itself and the nitty gritty, mm -hmm. and then you kind of dig a bit deeper and find out. Um, as much as you can before making that choice, because uh, you yeah. can, it can be quite hard sometimes. And I know from my own life that it's it's not a good situation to be in when you really don't know which way to go. Definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So hopefully, I, I shed some light on that in uh, in my podcast. That's what I'm going for. Awesome, awesome. Um, I'm keen to hear it. I'm really, really keen to hear that. It sounds like interesting chats are on their way. Have you have Definitely, you had yeah. it, have you had any episodes yet, or is it kind of um, you're about to launch, or what's the? Yeah, we we actually just launched uh, a few weeks ago, so there's five episodes live. Um, Ooh, and nice. if you just go to iTunes, then yeah. uh, you can see those first five there. Awesome, and awesome. hopefully more to come soon. Beautiful. Uh, thanks again for coming on to the show, Michael. I do appreciate it, and um, yeah, I'll 
definitely be listening out for more episodes and, and um, getting some friends to check it out myself as well. Great. And same to you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for tuning in to episode nine of The Good People Effect. I hope you enjoyed it. All the details of everything we spoke about is going to be in the show notes section on the website. So jump onto goodpeopleeffect.com if you haven't already. And please, please, please sign up to the newsletter because there's one week left for this competition, giving away three personal development packs. And if you sign up to this newsletter, I can promise you one thing, good things will come your way. Anyways, I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time, guys, be good, be well, and um, yeah, have a good one.